You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles, and uh, our text verse will be verse number 15. And uh, I've read this uh, passage many times. I've never preached from this uh, verse, verse number 15. But this week, uh, it, it's one of those verses that just kind of jumps out at you. Isn't that amazing how you can read the Bible through and just at different times, God will show you different things. But it's always been there. But verse 15, Paul is preaching and speaking to the church at Philippi. And he says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Now notice this next phrase. In the midst, in the middle of, right in the center of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, if you go back up to verse number uh, 12, we started with this verse. I love this verse. I want to explain this. Paul is writing to this church and he says that, uh, you have obeyed and not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this verse is not contradictory to Bible doctrine. Uh, Bible doctrine teaches us that we are saved by grace. It's a gift. Salvation, you can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't measure up. Salvation is all of grace. It's a gift of God. But what Paul is saying here to the church at Philippi, he says you're in a crooked, you're in a perverse nation, you're in the middle of a lot of wickedness, but he said, I want you to work out your salvation. You say, what does that mean? Well, salvation starts on the inside. And as it starts in the inside, it shouldn't stay on the inside. It ought to work itself out. And Paul said, don't ever forget the fact that you might live in a wicked nation, but you could be thankful that you are saved. You've got Jesus inside of you. And if Jesus Christ is inside of you, you ought to let everybody know you ought to work it out. You ought to show it forth. You ought to broadcast it. You ought to let the whole world know I'm saved. Jesus is my savior. And I'm so thankful that I can claim him as my own. So yes, Paul said, you might be in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. But praise God, you know that you're going to heaven. Praise God, you know your sins are forgiven. That word crooked, it means to be warped. It means to be perverse. The word perverse in here literally means to be distorted. It means to turn aside, to, to turn away, or to be corrupted. By way of introduction, I want to say this morning, there is no doubt we are living in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now, now time out. Let's, let's thank the Lord for our country, for all the good things, all the blessings. I don't want our focus to be all the negative. I'm going to show you this this morning because I want to show you what we need to do about it. This is not a doom and gloom message. Uh, this is not a, oh, it's terrible, oh, it's hopeless, and there's nothing we can do. Oh, no. I'm going to give you about seven things this morning that you and I can do in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. 
But I want to remind us this morning that we are not the first people to ever experience a wicked nation. Now, this is nothing new. God, God is not up in heaven thinking, oh, no, it's getting real bad in the United States of America, and there might not be any hope left. Oh, no. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about Noah. Noah lived in a wicked day. Everybody was only wicked and evil continually, and God had to destroy the earth with a flood because of the wickedness, the Tower of Babel. God commanded the people after Noah to, to, to spread out and to multiply and to replenish the earth. And they just got together. They said, oh, no, we're going to build us a tower up to heaven. We're going to exalt ourselves up to heaven. We're going to be like God. And we're going to do this rather than do what God said. God dispersed them by confusing their languages. It was wicked in that day. It was wicked during the times of the judges. The Bible says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You want to talk about some wicked and perverted sins? Read the book of Judges and see how far those people got away from God and how far they got away because they did what they thought was right rather than what God said. The book of Jeremiah, we're studying on Wednesday nights and these were people that knew God. These were people that loved God. These were people that used to serve God, but they got backslidden. They hardened their neck and they turned their back on God and they became wicked and they became ungodly and they uh, became backslidden and, and they were in a wicked nation at the time that Jeremiah preached. And the more he preached, the more they hated him. The more he preached, the more they wanted to kill him. There were the 400 silent years that are recorded for us in history from the end of the Old Testament to the start of the New Testament. During those 400 years, there was no word from God. There was no word from heaven. God's people were under persecution. There was a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a wicked man. He hated the Jews. He tortured them. He sold them as slaves. Uh, he desecrated the temple. He made a mockery of the things of God. He was so bad that in prophecy, we see that man and the Antichrist looking like identical twins because of the wickedness that was transpiring during that time. Jesus came on the scene, and we think of the nativity uh, scene and the Christmas story, and we think, oh, it was so warm and fuzzy. No, it wasn't warm and fuzzy. Herod was killing the babies. Uh, uh, the Roman Empire was in control. They hated Jesus so much, they crucified him. They cut off the head of John the Baptist. It was a wicked and perverse nation that Jesus came to preach to. I think about the church here at Philippi. This was a wicked city. Paul preached to these people, but they were in a heathen, godless city that worshiped false gods and idols. And yet, Paul told these folks, he said, listen, you can still make a difference in a crooked and perverse nation. The Roman Empire, Nero was the king during the time of Paul's life. Nero was such a wicked man, he hated Christians so much that he would literally, he would feed them to the lions and feed them to the wild beasts and he would gather the crowds in the Colosseums to witness the torture. Nero would take Christians and he would burn them alive outside of his palace in his garden so he would have light at night uh, to see his garden while literally bodies were burning. 
They would take Christians and they would line them up along the streets leading to and from the cities just as a reminder to people of what would happen if you did not worship Nero and if you worshiped God. These were wicked days. These were terrible times. The dark ages, uh, about a thousand years of martyrs and people that gave their lives and people were burned at the stake. Fox's Book of Martyrs records for us many accounts of Christians who were tortured, Christians who were beaten, and Christians who were killed because they would not bow down and worship a king. They would not denounce the Bible. They would not denounce their God. Hitler, we read about the concentration camps, and we read about the Holocaust, and we read about how wicked of a man Hitler was and how wicked of a time period that was. More recent years, we have heard stories and we've read accounts of Iraq, Saddam Hussein and his sons and the the wickedness and the perversion and the cruelty and the, the violence that was on display there in Iraq. As we sit in our air-conditioned building and we sit on our padded pews and we enjoy the freedom to worship God, There are Christians around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. There are Christians around the world who today will give their lives because of the Bible that they hold in their hands, because of the Savior that lives in their heart, because of the God that they worship with their lives. Friend, I want to tell you, we live in a wicked and perverse and a a crooked and perverse nation. But I want to tell you, we're not the first ones. As a matter of fact, we don't have it as bad as many in history have had it. So why is it that it seems so bad in the United States of America? And please don't get me wrong, it is wicked. Why is it that it seems like every time you turn on the television set, you see the promotion and the glorifying of wickedness and and immorality and and alcohol and drugs and and you see uh, that abortion has become glorified and you see that lawlessness and violence has become uh, set up on a pedestal as the thing to do. Maybe it's because of how far we've come and how quickly we're going down. Maybe it's because we realize that our nation was founded upon biblical principles. Maybe it's because of what our nation has stood for throughout the centuries. Maybe it's because although not all of our founding fathers were born again Christians, many of them were. And the ones who were not recognized uh, the, 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 the authority of the Word of God and recognized that things must be done right and must be moral and must be just. Maybe it seems so bad because of our founding documents. We read the Declaration of Independence and we read our Constitution and we read our Bill of Rights and and we realize that that, that God's Word and God's people shaped this nation. This nation of all nations should not be going to hell. This nation of all nations should be glorifying God. Maybe it's because of the Great Awakenings. In the early years of our nation, there were great awakenings that swept along this East Coast. There were people being saved and there were churches being started and there were missionaries being sent to uh, areas that had not even yet been colonized. But they said, we've got to get the gospel to these people. Maybe it's because of the revivals of D.L. Moody. 
the revivals of Billy Sunday in the Midwest and over to the East Coast and even over into Europe and back. And we've heard about that and we've read about that. And, and it doesn't seem right that our nation should be so wicked because of all that our nation has experienced. Our nation has experienced churches being built. I understand that for many of you, this is all you know here in the South. But I'll tell you this. You go to some parts of our nation and there are not a lot of churches. You go to some states out west and it's, it's rare that you see a church. It's rare that you see a, a, a church building, but we have so many churches and so many churches have been built and so many men have preached the Bible and so many have stood for what's right and we've sent out missionaries. We've published Bibles. We've started Christian schools and Bible colleges and bus ministries and soul winning ministries and, and all of that. And yet now in our nation, it seems like we're calling good evil and evil is called good. Maybe it's so bad because it seems like Christians have fallen asleep. It seems like we are allowing the foundations to crumble all around us, and it seems like nobody cares. Our Bibles are collecting dust. Our prayer closets are empty. Our tears are gone. Our churches, even before COVID-19, our churches were empty. Our money is spent on pleasure. Our time is spent doing things that make us happy, but what about things that are eternal? You see, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we as God's people, we must arise and we must recognize that there is something that God wants us to do. God doesn't want us just to sit back and, and observe and sit back and, and critique and sit back and analyze, but God wants us as Christians to stand up and make a difference. Would you notice with me in Philippians 2, what can we do? in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, number one, I want you to see we can have the right spirit. It says in verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us these next few moments? I need your power. Lord, I don't want to preach just another message, and I don't want to attempt to entertain. I don't want to attempt to educate, but I want to attempt to relay truth. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as the truth is relayed, I pray that you would work in our hearts and change us and I pray that you'd break us and I pray that you'd open our eyes and cause us to see the need and, and what we can do in this hour in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, as Christians, what can we do in the middle of a perverse and crooked nation? Number one, we can guard our spirit. You see, sometimes we look at people who are wicked and we look at people who are lawless and we look at people who, who hate God and who hate Christianity and we look at people who will blaspheme the word of God and our first reaction is we want to tear them apart. We want to beat them up. We want to strangle those people. Can I tell you that's not what Jesus did? You know what Jesus did? 
Jesus said, I want to save those people. Jesus said, I want to rescue those people. I want those people to see that there is hope. When Jesus hung on the cross, you talk about a, a crooked and perverse nation. They crucified Jesus. And Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I wonder what's your spirit like? I wonder what my spirit is like. You know why people act ungodly? You know why people act wickedly? You know why people act like they do? In most cases, it's because they do not know Jesus. And you say, well, we're going to change them. Oh, no, we're not going to change anybody, but Jesus sure can. And if Jesus gets inside of a heart and Jesus gets inside of a life, can I tell you, it's changed from the inside out rather than the outside in. Jesus came into a world and Jesus came and he humbled himself he became obedient to the will of the Father. Our spirit ought to be a spirit of love. Our spirit ought to be a, a spirit of one accord, one mind. Verse 3, not strife, not vain glory, not thinking you're better than anybody else. I think sometimes in our country and as Bible-believing Christians and we love America and we love this country and we love what it stands for, I think we can start to feel like we're better than everybody else. I got news for all of us. We ain't better than nobody. Except for the grace of God, we'd be on our way to hell. Except for the grace of God, you and I could have been born in another country. Except for the grace of God, we may have never heard the gospel. There's nothing good about us, but can I tell you, the difference is what Jesus did in our lives. How's your spirit? Are you more concerned with somebody else than you are with yourself? Brother Dan has been teaching in Sunday school and been talking last week and this week about how uh, we, we become so selfish. And that's not just the unsaved, that's Christians. We can become so selfish and so self-centered and everything is about us and everything is about materialism and everything is about money and everything is about getting ahead in life. I want to remind you that someday everything down here is going to burn up. And all that's going to matter is what we've done for eternity and for the cause of Christ. We must think like Jesus thinks. We're so full of pride and selfishness that we can't even set that aside to have a spirit of brokenness and concern for others. Number one, we must guard our spirit. Number two, we must become servants. Notice verse number seven. The Bible says, but he, that's Jesus, made himself of no reputation but he took upon him the form of a servant. We like to be in charge. We like to call the shots. We like to think that everybody's got to do what we tell them to do. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve. And we've been called to serve God. We've been called to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Philippi, was a place where there were some in that city that worshipped the emperor. And they worshipped that emperor like he was a god. But would you notice what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in verse number 9? He says, wherefore, because Jesus humbled himself, because Jesus was obedient, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that who? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you, Jesus humbled himself. He came to serve and God took his son Jesus and he exalted him and he gave him a name above every name. Jesus came to serve. I wonder who have you served this week? I'm not asking at your job when that's what you're supposed to do. You're maybe in, in, in a customer service and you're supposed to be taking care of the customer. I'm talking about who did you serve this week or who did I serve this week? And the only reason we did it was because we wanted to be like Jesus. We wanted to help somebody. We wanted to do something for somebody else. Say, oh no, we got to fix our country and we got we to get rid of all these rascals. Well, I'll tell you the best way to do that is why don't we be obedient to God and why don't we have the right spirit? Why don't we serve God and why don't we reach people with the gospel and why don't we uh, send out missionaries and why don't we keep on doing what we can to see people come to know Christ? Number three, we must be sanctified. It says in verse number 15, that she may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. That word blameless, it means above reproach. I was in the early service, I was talking about this, and Brother uh, Dan is in here, and Brother uh, Nathan's in here, Brother Caleb, and we, we all went to the same Bible college. And uh, at different times, Nathan and Caleb were in college at the same time, and Dan and I were in college about the same time, but I guarantee you these guys heard it just like we did. In our church education class, Pastor Treber would go through the, uh, the requirements of a pastor. And the first requirement of a pastor is you have to be good looking. No, 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 that's not the right one. Some of you are like, well, that's a good thing, pastor. And you don't have to, you don't have to tell me afterwards. Oh, you missed the first one. Uh, the second one is you got to be, you got to be smart, I think. And, and uh, you know what the first requirement of a pastor is to be blameless. That's the word right here. Verse number 15. But a pastor must be blameless. And our pastor in California, he always said this. He said, that word blameless, it means that nothing sticks. So if there's an accusation that is made, for instance, I'll give this example. Brother Dan likes, likes using my examples. I told you a couple weeks about if, and I didn't, but if I went to Speedway and I, I stole something out of the soda, uh, uh, soda case or whatever and you know all that, but I didn't do that. But, but if, if you heard this week, and I hope you don't hear it, I hope you don't start the rumor, um, but if you heard this week, yeah, pastor was over at the bar. Pastor over the bar, and boy, he was drinking and all that stuff. Well, first of all, if you heard that, I would hope that my testimony would be such that you would say, no. Maybe, maybe you saw a car that looked like pastor's or something like that, but it wasn't pastor. And that doesn't sound like something pastor would do. Now, by the way, if I do, then I've disqualified myself from being your pastor. Because if you go down that list, a pastor is not given to wine. And so as a pastor, if I'm over at the bar drinking, I have no business being your pastor, okay? But what I'm saying is that I ought to have a testimony that it's blameless, that if that is said, you're not scratching your head saying, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that sounds like pastor. 
Matter of fact, yeah, I think he, I'm, I'm glad you said it because I've been thinking the same thing. Can I tell you, that's a responsibility, a qualification for a pastor to be blameless. But guess what? Philippians 2 is not talking about a pastor. It's talking about all of us as Christians. We are to be blameless. That means that we are above reproach. We're not seeing how close we can get to the world. We're seeing how close we can get to Christ because we're in a wicked world and we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't live like the world. We live like Jesus because we're sanctified. Notice verse number uh, 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Murmurings is grumbling and disputings is arguing. I was telling the early service about Kylie, she's two and a half. And Kylie, Kylie is Little Miss personality. And in 10 seconds, it's Little Miss attitude. And you'll tell her something. If she doesn't like it, she, I mean, she can do the poochie lip in like 0.3 seconds. I mean, it, I mean, that's, that's grumbling. That's pouting. I'm mad. I don't like what you said. I don't want to do that. And then if that doesn't work, she'll... You know, don't look at me. You know, I'm, I'm going to hide myself. And then if that doesn't work, she's laying out on the ground, you know, like, you know, having a little tantrum. Can I tell you? That's not good for a two and a half year old. But that's really not good for an adult. That's really not good for a child of God who can't have a good spirit and can't be happy and can't have the joy of the Lord. And we're always mad about something. We're always complaining about something. We're always arguing about something. No wonder people don't want to get saved. No wonder why people aren't wanting to come to church to find out what you have. If that's what you have, I wouldn't want it either. Can I tell you, we must be sanctified. We must be set apart. We must be innocent, harmless, without rebuke, without fault. Does that mean that you're going to be sinless? Absolutely not. But it does mean that that ought to be our goal, is to be more like Jesus and less like the world every single day. Number four, quickly, we're the sons of God. We must be, we're identified with Christ. We ought to remind people of our Father. We ought to represent Him well. Turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, this ought to bless your heart. You say, well, what's the big deal about being sons of God or daughters of God or children of God? Verse number one of 1 John 3, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Verse two, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, when we are sons of God, we're going to act like it. We're going to represent our Father. We're going to make him pleased with our lives. Number five, we must be separate. We've already talked about this. But the Bible says that we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. But we're called to be different. We're called to be holy. And you've seen the illustration before. But sometimes as Christians, we're looking at the world. And we think that if the world gets worse and worse, that as long as we just keep an arm's distance, then we're okay. 
But that's not what God's called us to do. God didn't say keep an arm's distance from the world. God says, you stay close to me and you stay close to my word and you obey me and the world's going to get worse and worse. But you and I ought to be holy and we ought to be separate from the world. Number six, quickly, we must shine. The Bible says in verse 15 that we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom? In the middle of that crowd, in the middle of that situation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. This world needs the light of Jesus Christ to shine upon them. This world is, is wandering in darkness and this world has been blinded by Satan and this world has been blinded by sin. And the only hope that this world has is that somebody will let the light of Jesus shine and show them their need of salvation. Matthew 5, Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. But if the city has been set on a hill, how can it be hid? He said, uh, it's like a light. If you put it uh, under a bushel, it's not going to work. But you put it on a candlestick and it gives light unto all that are in the house. We've got some bushels, don't we? We've got some things that are covering the light. We've got some sin and we've got some bad habits and we've got some, some worldly pleasures that are hiding the light and people can't see Jesus, but people need to see Jesus. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We must shine. We must let people see the light of Jesus. And then lastly, it's found in verse number 16. You say, Pastor, how are we supposed to do it? Because the world's getting worse and worse and it seems like people are more perverse and people are more crooked and, and people are more vile and people are more filthy. And what are we supposed to do? Verse 16, the Bible says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul said to that church at Philippi, he said, if you're going to be in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, he said, you got to hold tight to the word of God. You got to hang on for all your worth. And you've got to make sure your life is based upon the Bible. I, I've said it so many times, but I, I cannot, I, I can't even believe sometimes where they'll show how politicians or, or, or movie stars or, 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 or celebrities, they'll show what they said 10 years ago. And then they'll show what they, say, what they say today, and it's totally different. You say, well, what changed? What changed was what was popular. And what changed was public opinion. And so because those people are so dependent upon uh, people admiring them and looking to them and they're so uh, worried about pleasing people, they have to change what they believe in order to accommodate that. But here's the great thing about being a Christian. We're not looking to see what everybody else thinks. We're not looking to see what everybody else wants. We're looking to see what He wants. And what He wants and what God expects and what God requires never changes. It's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And if we will hang on to this book, we can be difference makers in a crooked and perverse nation. 
The Bible tells us of Eliezer. He was one of David's mighty men. And the Bible says that he was in a tough spot because he was defending a field. And the enemy came and they invaded that field and everybody else took off. Everybody else ran. And Eliezer's all by himself in this field. And he's like, what in the world is going on? And the Bible says that he became weary. You ever felt that way? Trying to live for God and trying to serve God and trying to have a Christian home and trying to raise your children for God and you're trying to be a good testimony at work and you're trying to be faithful in church and faithful in ministry and it just seems like everything's just piling on you and you're weary. The Bible says that Eliezer was weary, but his hand clave to the sword. The Bible says, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Now, Eliezer had a, a physical sword. He had a, a physical weapon. But friend, you and I, we've got a spiritual weapon. We've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And can I tell you, you can be victorious and I can be victorious and we can win the victory and we can make a difference and we can let our light shine in this world if we'll hold on to this book right here. I do not know if our children or grandchildren, I don't know how many generations, will be able to pledge allegiance to that flag. I don't know how many generations will be able to visit the monuments and visit the inscriptions in stone with references to the Word of God. I don't know how long we'll celebrate July 4th. I hope it's for many, many, many years to come. I hope it's for generations to come. I don't know how long all that's going to last. I hope it lasts, and I pray it lasts. But I'll tell you one thing. Even if there's not an American flag to salute, even if there's not a national anthem to sing, even if there's not a, a monument to visit, we've got a book that'll stand forever. And people have tried. Oh, they've tried to burn it. They've tried to destroy it. They've tried to discredit it. Guess what? This book still stands. Aren't you glad that we've got something that we can hang on to in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.